Chapter 9 of Toby Taylor or Ten Weeks with a Circus. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kenneth Sargent Gagan. Toby Tyler or Ten Weeks with a Circus by James Otis. Chapter 9 The Dinner Party. At noon, Toby was thoroughly tired out. For whenever anyone spoke kindly to him, Mr. Lord seemed to take a malicious pleasure in giving him extra tasks to do, until Toby began to hope that no one else would pay any attention to him. On this day, he was permitted to go to dinner first, and after he returned, he was left in charge of the booth. Trade being dull, as it usually is during dinner hour, he had very little work to do after he had cleaned the glasses and set things to rights generally. When, therefore, he saw the gaunt form of the skeleton emerge from his tent and come toward him, he was particularly pleased, for he had begun to think very kindly of the thin man and his fleshy wife. "'Well, Toby,' said the skeleton." As he came up to the booth, carefully dusted Mr. Lord's private chair, and sat down very cautiously in it, as if he expected that it would break down under his weight. I hear you've been making quite a hero of yourself by capturing the monkeys last night. Toby's freckled face reddened with pleasure as he heard those words, and he stammered out with considerable difficulty, I, I didn't do anything. It was Mr. Stubbs that brought him back. Mr. Stubbs. And the skeleton laughed so heartily that Toby was afraid he would dislocate some of his thinly covered joints. When you were telling about Mr. Stubbs yesterday, I thought you meant someone belonging to the company. You ought to have seen my wife Lily shake with laughing when I told her who Mr. Stubbs was. Yes, said Toby, at a loss to know just what to say. I should think she would shake when she laughs. Oh, she does, replied the skeleton. If you could see her when something funny strikes her, you'd think she was one of those big plates of jelly that they have in the bake shop windows. And Mr. Treep looked proudly at the gaudy picture, which represented his wife in all her monstrosity of flesh. She's a great woman, Toby. "'And she's got a great head.' "'Toby nodded his head in assent. "'He would have liked to have said something nice regarding Mrs. Treat, "'but he really didn't know what to say. "'So he simply contented himself and the fond husband by nodding. "'She thinks a good deal of you, Toby,' continued the skeleton, "'as he moved his chair to a position more favorable to him "'to elevate his feet on the edge of the counter.' and placed his handkerchief under him as a cushion. She's talking of you all the time. And you know, if you weren't such a little fellow, I should begin to be jealous of you. I should, upon my word. You're both very good, stammered Toby, so weighted down by a sense of the honor heaped upon him as to be at a loss of words. And she wants to see more of you. She made me come out here now when she knew Mr. Lord would be away to tell you that we're going to have a little kind of a friendly dinner in our tent tomorrow. She's cooking it all herself, or she's going to, 
and we wanted you to come in and have some with us. Toby's eyes glistened at the thought of the unexpected pleasure, and then his face grew sad as he replied, Oh, I'd like to come first rate, Mr. Treat, but I don't suppose that Mr. Lord will let me stay away from the shop long enough. Why, you won't have any work to do tomorrow. Toby, it's Sunday. So it is, said the little boy with a pleased smile, as he thought of the day of rest which was so near. And then he added quickly, And this is Saturday afternoon. What fun the boys at home are having. You see, there ain't no school Saturday afternoon, and all the fellows go out into the woods. And you wish you were there to go with them, don't you? asked the skeleton sympathetically. Indeed I do, exclaimed Toby, quickly. It was twice as good as any circus that ever was. Well, you didn't think so before you came with us, did you? I didn't know so much about circuses then as I do now, replied the boy, sadly. Mr. Treat saw that he was touching on a sore subject, and one which was arousing sad thoughts in his little companion's mind, and he hastened to change the subject at once. Then I can tell Lily that you'll come, can't I? said the skeleton. Oh, yes, I'll be sure to be there. And I want you to know just how good I think you both are to me. Oh, that's all right, Toby, said Mr. Treat, with a pleased expression on his face. And you may bring Mr. Stubbs with you, if you want to. Thank you, said Toby. I'm sure Mr. Stubbs will be just as glad to come as I shall. But where will we be tomorrow? Right here. We always stay over Sunday at the place where we show Saturday. But I must be going, or Lily will worry her life out of her for fear I'm somewhere getting cold. She's awful careful of me, that woman is. You'll be on hand tomorrow at one o'clock, won't you? Indeed I will, said Toby emphatically, and I'll bring Mr. Stubbs with me, too. With a friendly nod of the head, the skeleton hurried away to reassure his wife that he was safe and well and before he had hardly disappeared within the tent, Toby had another caller, who was none other than his friend old Ben, the driver. "'Well, boy,' shouted Ben, in his cheery, hearty tones, "'I haven't seen you since you left the wagon, so suddenly last night. Did you get shook up much?' "'Oh, no,' replied Toby. "'You see, I ain't very big, and then I got stuck in the mud, so I got off pretty easy.' Well, "'That's a fact.' And you can thank your lucky stars for it, too. I've seen grown men get pitched off a wagon that way and break their necks doing it. Say, has Job told you where you was going to sleep tonight? You know, we stay over here till tomorrow. I didn't think anything about it. I, But I suppose I'll sleep in the wagon, won't I? Oh, you can sleep at the hotel if you want to, but the beds will likely be dirty. And if you take my advice... You'll crawl into some of the wagons in the tent. Ben then explained to him that, after his work was done that night, he would not be expected to report for duty until the time for starting on Sunday night, and concluded his remarks by saying, Now you know what your rights are, and don't let job impose upon you in any way. I'll be around here after you get through with work, and we'll bunk in somewhere together. The arrivals of Messrs. Lord and Jacobs put a stop to the conversation, and was a signal for Toby's time of trial. It seemed to him, and with good reason, that the chief delight these men had in life was to torment him, 
for neither ever spoke a pleasant word to him, and when one was not giving him some difficult work to do, or finding fault in some way, the other would be sure to do so, and Toby had very little comfort from the time he began work in the morning until he stopped at night. It was not until after the evening performance was over, and Toby had a chance to speak with Mr. Stubbs, and then he was so tired that he simply took the old monkey from the cage, nestled him under his jacket, and lay down with him to sleep in the place which old Ben had selected. When the morning came, Mr. Stubb aroused his young master at a much earlier hour than he would have awakened had he been left to himself, and the two went out for a short walk before breakfast. They went instinctively toward the woods, and when the shade of the trees was once reached, how they reveled in their freedom. Mr. Stubbs climbed into the trees, swung himself from one to the other by means of his tail, gathered half-ripe nuts, which he threw at his master, tried to catch the birds, and had a good time generally. Toby, stretched at full length on the mossy bank, watched the antics of his pet, laughing boisterously at times, as Mr. Stubbs would do some one thing more comical than usual, and forget there was in this world such a thing as a circus, or such a man as Job Lord. It was to Toby a morning without flaw, and he took no heed of the time until the sound of the church bells warned him of the lateness of the morning, reminding him at the same time of where he should be, where he would be, if he were at home with his Uncle Daniel. In the meantime, the old monkey had been trying to attract his young master's attention, and failing in his efforts, he came down from the tree, crept softly up to Toby, and nestled his head under the boy's arm. This little act of devotion seemed to cause Toby's grief to burst forth afresh, and clasping the monkey around the neck, hugging him close to his bosom, he sobbed. Oh, Mr. Stubbs, Mr. Stubbs, how lonesome we are! If we was only an Uncle Daniels, we'd be the two happiest people in all the world. We could play on the hay, or go up to the pasture, or go down to the village, and I'd work my fingers off if I could only be there just once more. It was wicked for me to run away, and now I'm getting paid for it. He hugged the monkey closely, swaying his body to and fro, and presenting a perfect picture of grief. The monkey, not knowing what to make of this changed mood, cowered whimperedly in his arms, looking up into his face and licking the boy's hands whenever he had the opportunity. It was some time before Toby's grief exhausted itself, and then, still clasping the monkey, and he hurried out of the woods towards the town in the now thoroughly hated circus tents. The clock was just striking one as Toby entered the enclosure, used by the show as a place of performance, and remembering his engagement with the skeleton and his wife, he went directly to their tent. From the odors which assailed him as he entered, it was very evident that a feast of no mean proportion was in the course of preparation, and Toby's keen appetite returned in full vigor. Even the monkey seemed affected by the odor, for he danced about on his master's shoulders and chatted so that Toby was obliged to choke him a little in order to make him present a respectable appearance. 
When Toby reached the interior of the tent, he was astonished at the extent of the preparations that were being made, and gazed around him in surprise. The platform of which the lean man and fat woman were in the habit of exhibiting themselves now bore a long table, loaded with edibles, and from the fact that eight or ten chairs were ranged around it, Toby understood that he was not the only guest invited to the feast. Some little attempt had also been made at decoration by the festooning the end of the tent where the platform was placed, with two or three flags and some streamers, and the tent poles also were fringed with tissue paper of the brightest colors. Toby had only time enough to notice this when the skeleton advanced toward him, and, with the liveliest appearance of pleasure, said, as he took him by the hand with a grip that made him wince, "'It gives me great joy, Mr. Taylor, to welcome you at one of our little reunions, if one can call a tent that is moved every day in the week a home.' Toby hardly knew whom Mr. Treat referred to when he said Mr. Taylor.' But by the time his hand was released from the bony grip, he understood that it was himself he was spoken to. The skeleton then formally introduced him to other guests present, who were sitting at one end of the tent and evidently anxiously awaiting the coming feast. These, said Mr. Treat, as he waved his hand toward two white-haired, pink-eyed young ladies, who sat with their arms twined around each other's waist, and had been eyeing the monkey with some appearance of fear, are the Miss Cushings, known to the world as the albino children. They command a large salary, and form a very attractive feature of our exhibition. The young ladies arose at the same time, as if they had been Siamese twins, and could not act independently of each other, and bowed. Toby made the best bow he was capable of, and the monkey made frantic efforts to escape, as if he would enjoy twisting his paws into their perpendicular hair. And this, continued Mr. Treat, pointing to a sickly, sour-looking individual, who was sitting apart from the others, with his arms folded, and looking as if he was counting the very seconds before the dinner should begin, is the wonderful Senor Castro, whose sword-swallowing feats you have doubtlessly heard of. Toby stepped back just one step, as if overwhelmed by awe at beholding the senor in the guise of a humble individual, and the gentleman who gained his livelihood by swallowing swords unbent his dignity so far as to enfold his arms and present a very dirty-looking hand for Toby to shake. The boy took hold of the outstretched hand, wondering why the senor never used soap and water and Mr. Stubbs, apparently afraid of the sour-looking man, retreated to Toby's shoulder, where he sat chattering and scolding about the introduction. Again the skeleton waved his hand, and this time he introduced Mademoiselle Spalletti, the wonderful snake-charmer whose exploits in this country, and before the crown heads of Europe, had caused the whole world to stand aghast at her daring. Mademoiselle Spalletti was a very ordinary-looking young lady of about twenty-five years of age, who looked very much as if her name might originally have been Murphy, and she too extended a hand for Toby to grasp. Only her hand was clean, and she appeared to be a very much more pleasant acquaintance than the gentleman who swallowed swords. 
This ended the introduction, and Toby was just looking around for a seat when Mrs. Treat, the fat lady, and the giver of the feast, which was about to come, and which already smelled so inviting, entered from behind a curtain of canvas where the cooking stove was supposed to be located. She had every appearance of being the cook for the occasion. Her sleeves were rolled up, and her hair tumbled and frowsy, and there were several unmistakable marks of grease on the front of her calico dress. She waited for no ceremony, but rushed up to Toby, and, taking him in her arms, gave him such a squeeze that there seemed to be every possibility that she would break all the bones in his body, and she kept him so long in this bear-like embrace that Mr. Stubbs reached his little brown paws over and got such a hold of her hair that all the presents, save Senor Castro, rushed forward to release her from the monkey's grasp. "'You dear little thing,' said Mrs. Treat, paying but slightest attention to the hair-pulling she had just undergone, and holding Toby at arm's length so that she could look him into the face. "'You were so late that I was afraid you weren't coming, and my dinner would not have been half so good as if you hadn't been here to eat some.' Toby hardly knew what to say for this hearty welcome, but he managed to tell the large and kind-hearted lady that he had no idea of missing a dinner, and that he was very glad she wanted him to come. "'Want you to come, you dear little thing!' she exclaimed, as she gave him another hug, but careful not to give Mr. Stubbs a chance of grasping her hair again. "'Of course I wanted you to come, but this dinner has been gotten up so that you could meet the people here and so that they could see you.' Toby was entirely at loss to know what to say to this overwhelming compliment and for that reason did not say anything, only submitting patiently to the third hug which was all Mrs. Treat had time to give, and she was obliged to rush behind the canvas screen again, as there were unmistakable sounds of something boiling over on the stove. "'You'll excuse me,' said the skeleton, with an air of dignity, waving his hand once more toward the assembled company, while introducing you to Mr. Tyler— I had almost forgotten to introduce him to you. This, ladies and gentlemen, and here he touched Toby on the shoulder, as if he were a living curiosity whose habits and mode of capture he was about to explain to a party of spectators, is Mr. Toby Tyler, of whom you heard on the night when the monkey cage was smashed, and who now carries with him the identical monkey which was presented him by the manager of this great show, as a token of esteem for his skill and bravery in capturing the entire lot of monkeys without a single blow. By the time Mr. Treat got through with this long speech, Toby felt very much as if he were some wonderful creature with whom the skeleton was exhibiting, but he managed to rise to his feet and duck his little red head in his best imitation of a bow. Then he sat down and hugged Mr. Stubbs to cover his confusion. One of the albino children now came forward, and while stroking Mr. Stubbs' hair, looked so intently at Toby that, for the life of him, he couldn't say which she regarded as a curiosity, himself or the monkey. Therefore he hastened to say, modestly, I didn't do much toward catching the monkeys. Mr. Stubbs here did almost all of it, and I only let him in. There, there, my boy, said the skeleton, in a fatherly tone. 
I've heard the whole story from old Ben, and I know that shot let you get out of it like that. We all know what you did, and it's no use for you to deny any part of it. End of chapter 9 Recording by Kenneth Sergeant Gagan